Good morning, everybody. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you both online and in person. And for you onlineers, um, um, having people's voices in your ears is, I know it's a foreign concept for what you've been experiencing lately, but it's a pretty beautiful thing. Let me read the scriptures to you from Proverbs, just two. Proverbs 14:30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Let your heart not envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. And God's people can say, Amen. Amen. So in the movie version of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you're in Narnia, and Lucy is in this kind of dreamy fantasy place. And what she does is she pulls out uh, a page that she ripped out of a book of incantations. And she goes to the mirror and she says these words, Make me she whom I'd agree holds more beauty over me. Suddenly, in this dream spell-like state, the spell works to transform Lucy into her sister Susan. And in that fantasy, it moves out into this dream of, uh, there's this hustle and bustle of kind of a party parade kind of feel, and uh, in the middle of that, this big outdoor party, it's time for a family picture. And so come in Peter and Edmund, the whole family. But if you're familiar with Narnia, there's actually supposed to be four children, right? And it's just three of them. Lucy has erased herself from history. All she has done, all who she is. And as the, the flash pops in one of those old-timey um, cameras that's going to take that family picture, she realizes what's gone on, and she screams. You see, Lucy is desperately wanting to be like her sister, to be her sister Susan. And Susan was beautiful, and she was an incredible markswoman. She had all sorts of gifts, and all the people of Narnia really liked her, um, especially Prince Caspian. But here's the problem with envy. Being green always makes you blue. Proverbs 14 says, envy makes the bones rot. I looked up the history of why uh, green is used in terms of envy because they believed that envy actually secreted extra bile, which will change the color of your skin. <laughs> wow. Joseph Epstein's an essayist, and he writes this, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is the one that's no fun at all. And psychologists actually agree Envy decreases life satisfaction. It actually correlates positively with depression and neuroticism. And the hostility it brings can literally make you sick. Media scholars coined the phrase social comparison theory. Envy. It decreases happiness. Being green it makes you blue. This sermon series is about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And we talk about it in light of Jesus, so we're calling it resurrection wisdom. 
And what we've said is wisdom is the skill of, in the art of living. And for a Christian, it's the skill in the art of living as God would have us, or in God's ways, through Jesus Christ, the one who was born, who was raised, born, lived, died, and was raised. The one that the New Testament calls Wisdom, capital W. So today we talk about resurrection wisdom with respect to envy. Now last week we talked about resurrection wisdom with respect to anger, but we could use the term wise anger. You cannot use the term wise envy. Envy cannot be redeemed. It must be replaced. It must be transplanted with something else. So what is envy? I've looked up a couple things. I like Rebecca DeYoung's, getting bitter when others got it better. I tried my own definition. It's the bone-rotting awareness someone enjoys their life more than you enjoy yours. WebMD even had a definition. Who knew? Wanting what someone else has. And I think that's half of it. It's wanting what someone else has in a way that decomposes something in you. It putrefies something in your relationship with others. And it rots something about your relationship with God. And isn't putrefied one of the greatest words ever? (laughs) But we know what it feels like, right? Or do we? Envy feels very bodily to me, very physical. Maybe somewhere in my gut or my chest when I experience it. Metaphorically, Proverbs says it's in the bones, which makes total sense to me. When I'm envious, by the time I actually go, hey, that's envy, and that crosses my brain, it already feels a little too late because I've been experiencing it in such significant ways. Envy, has, envy seems to have like this brain-altering chemical that when excreted begins to make the bones rot. You might see a neighbor with a new car, and for you kids out there, that's just a new toy. Or they get a cool job, and something happens. Your gut longs for it, And then as long as that longing stays in your bones, the rotting starts to begin. You start to resent or even get angry or sad or, uh, or you tell yourself that you, you could, you, of your misfortune or, or that, that they were being unfair how they got it, that you're somehow being wronged in it. You get it down into the inside of yourself. That's what being envious does. It's a reason why the church in its history is called envy one of the deadly sins. If it's let loose on others, it turns deadly because you then want to kill. John Owen writes, ask envy what it would really have, murder and destruction as that the end of it. Now, it usually plays out in many murders, like she probably flirted her way up to the top. It was, it was daddy's money or his contacts. They didn't deserve it. They cheated on that test. The company just needs to fill a quota. They probably lied about their accomplishments. Those are many murders. Or just as bad because it's a deadly sin. If loosed on yourself, it makes you want to die. I'm terrible. I just can't do what they do. There must be something wrong with me. I shouldn't even try anymore. I'm worthless, and it's not worth living. Or worse, it kills your relationship with God. 
God just lets this junk happen. Why doesn't he bless me like that? Must be nice. There's no justice in him. Can I even trust him? Does he even love me? Does he even exist? That's where it gets rotten in the bones. And this is all very, the very predictable peril of the deadly sin of envy. But there's a problem that sometimes those wrongs are actually true. People cheat. We fall and we fail. And truth is, God does let things happen to people. Proverbs is not naive about this. Money, power, status, comfort, beauty, they have this gravitational force. And some folks will, will manipulate or oppress or steal or price gouge or, or, or serve unjust wages or just be greedy for those kinds of things. And it will result in something that you might be envious of. This is why Proverbs says, let not your heart envy sinners. Don't let um, the, the envy, don't envy the people who cheat or the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous who got it through ill-gotten gain. The blessing or the, um, the, uh, the, the, ba- the badness of people um, get in the way. Because evil always makes a way to flaunt. It flaunts itself because it wants everything else to be envious of it. It is the lure of envy. So we must name evil as it is, but not envy it. If there are wrong practices at work, we're, we're supposed to, 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 um, to pursue a good and equal solution, something that is helpful. Um, envy takes the heart and kind of bone rot paralyzes it uh, to the pursuit of those good things in the world and calling out the bad things in the world because it's completely focused on the self. But if we love our neighbor, our employer, our employees, or our fellow employees, we don't smolder, we speak out. That's the way. For the good of us all, not just ourselves. But that's not the only thing that's going on. Envy's bone rot paralyzes you to not just see all the bad in others, but the bone rot actually makes you not be able to see yourself. It paralyzes you from seeing yourself. When you recognize envy, it's actually a diagnostic gift from God. To bring it before him under his light, under the, uh, the, under the loving gaze of the Spirit. It's actually for you. And so you can actually ask your questions to, within that loving relationship of the Spirit. What, what if they actually just do work harder than I do? What if I am just lazier or less skilled? than you've conjured in your mind? Or what if you're just using envy as an excuse uh, to, to live out the lies against your own dignity? How pompous you are or how weak and feeling broken you are, how tired you are, how depressed you are, how greedy you are, even how good you are. Envy keeps you from looking at those things in reality. And so we have to resist the schemes of envy's evil. And we gotta dig a little deeper and let it, let it be an instrument of healing in God's hands by the work of his home, Holy Spirit. Because what he intends to do is when you have bone rot, he's, he's intending to actually give you a bone marrow transplant. So we are clearly tempted to envy the power and prosperity of the bad. But we're also tempted to envy the gifts and goodness of the blessed. This was Lucy's problem, right? She wants to be beautiful like her sister. She wants to be her sister. 
I started watching this Showtime series on the seven deadly sins, and I was like, well, let's go to Envy, and I can get some help here with the sermon, get some illustrations. But it got too creepy, so I had to stop. But in the beginning, it's Morgan Spurlock with his goatee, with an apple in his hand. Today, we're not talking about walking in another one's shoes, but walking in another one's skin. And then I had thoughts of Silence of the Lambs, and there was haunting music, and so I was done after that one. (laughs) What if the corruption we see in economics and politics and the ways we treat each other has a root of bone-rotten envy? What if our dysfunction and dysphoria and difficulties with identity is tied to envy? It's not only that. But what if envy envy is the thing that wants us to fake it and put the best foot forward and look like we have it all together? And that can be online or in person. I have lots of thoughts and feelings about this. I just kind of erupted for me uh, Friday, so I I I need some more time on it. But um, if Lucy's problem was imitation or taking, literally uh, taking another person's skin on her sister, then you have to realize that that problem is actually not just about Susan. It's also a problem Lucy's having with Lucy, right? She could not seem to recognize the reality that she was someone of value, someone who mattered and meant something in the world, someone who bore the image of God. She couldn't see the value of her own personhood. Anybody deal with that? Anybody let envy invade in a way that is self-destructive? Somewhere in there, it's a desire not to even exist. That's why it's a deadly sin. Envy wants to kill, but also envy wants to die. It wants to, that bone rot wants, wants the other eliminated, but if that can't happen, then to eliminate the self. Too often, we tell ourselves stories Like, I'm just simply not good enough for God's love, for just about anything. Not good-looking enough, not fit enough, not courageous enough, not strong enough, not fast enough, not smart enough, not talented enough, not funny enough, not cool enough, just not enough. And these are lies from hell. Envy makes it easier to eliminate yourself than it is to face these feelings and realities And so what we have to do is is resist that and dive further in because you need faith to believe that you matter. And you need faith to repent of squandering your gifts. You just need it. Envy distracts this hard hard work of viewing ourselves as forgiven sinners. It distracts our view of those sinners out there actually can be forgiven. Lucy stands before the mirror in in the kind of the, the fix-it-up scene of this, of this uh, she's absolutely horrified when she realizes this happens, when she kind of wakes from the stream. And, and Aslan, who's the God figure, spoiler alert, um, has, has, in the film has this following conversation. And this is when I wish I had a deep Aslan voice, but I don't. <clears throat> Lucy, says Aslan. Aslan? What have you done, child? I don't know. It's awful. But you chose it, Lucy. I didn't mean to choose that. 
I just wanted to be beautiful like Susan. That's all. You wished yourself away, and with it much more. Your brother and sister wouldn't know about Narnia if it weren't for you. You discovered Narnia. Do you remember? I'm so sorry, Lucy says. You doubt your value, Lucy. Don't run from who you are. Envy makes us run from who we are. All the glory and all the gory. All the depravity and all the dignity. And we don't actually get to see. It short circuits the actual relationships that we have with ourselves, our relationships with others, and fundamentally our relationship with God. The problem and the beauty of, of how um, the transplant of envy happens is not just with us or with them, but it's with God as well. We all need Aslan to speak to us, to act for us in a way that we can be healed. One pastor says, envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. That's where we turn, though. We turn to God's goodness towards you and me to have this, uh, this, this transplant, this bone marrow transplant that we need. In St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, in the 13th chapter, which is the wedding one, God's love for us and is an imitation of, putting the skin on of someone other, a flipping of the script of envy. He says, love is patient, love is kind. He does not envy or boast. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, which is the number one practice or number top five practice of envy but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes on things, endures all things. Love never ends. You see that love and life-giving hope there? Now listen to Proverbs and how it relates to envy. A tranquil heart gives life to flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Somehow, the transplant is about this hope and this love, and this faith and this hope and the love, because Corinthians ends with faith, hope, and love. What if hope and love supplant or transplant the bad cells of bone rot from envy? Well, it did. In the person of Jesus. Paul compels us to love out of this hope, to love and hope, but he's doing it in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is hope and love, and he came to bring hope and love right into our bones. Jesus has is, is, is got this destroying envy concoction in his bone transplant medicine. I know I'm done there. I don't know anything else about that. Um, uh, that regenerates our, our, um, our stem cells into ones of hope and love. He does that work. And if it's true, and it is true, it really changes the things around a whole lot. 
everything they are pursuing and you're envious of, of because of the ill-gotten gain, you're like, well, that's death in itself. Why would I kill? The life and death and resurrection, they, they, we can just relax a little in light of that. Jesus flips the script on all of this. Again, we actually do now imitate because we live in the skin of Jesus because he has welcomed us there. Our life is hidden in him. In salvation, we fit into Jesus' skin. And so why are we envying? We have more hope, more provision, more life, more plenty, more promise because we live in Christ Jesus. Those in Christ Jesus are guaranteed power and meaning, and dignity, and identity, and ease in a mansion one day. The truest and best life is now guaranteed to us, but not just guaranteed to us. It is invading our present life, because the kingdom is, and it is not yet to come. Sorry, I got to take a pollen water break. By the way, I waited 18 months before I stole this from the kitchen. (laughs) And it is the most fantastic. If it's yours, your name ain't on it. But if it's yours, I'll give it back. But this is the best water bottle I've ever had. Do you see this? Watch that. Wait. What? (laughs) And lock. So here's what happens. The hope and love that comes from Jesus means that you don't have to only look at the ways you failed, counting your failure and your sins, because you can look to Jesus. It moves moves your eyes away from yourself as the primary identity, but Jesus as the forgiver and the healer. And it moves your eyes off of others with just yourself and others with just a complete warm theology. And, and, and what it does is actually liberates to be bearers of the image of God in our glory and our glory. And we're able to say we're not just oppressed and oppressor. We're not just cosmically lucky or uh, damnably unlucky. Just, we just don't have what it takes, or I really do have what it takes. It's not just the brilliant and the simple. Now, all those things can be somewhat true in some ways, but they don't define us. We are defined by being the bearers of the image of God, the, one, the image of the one who brings hope and love in Christ Jesus, who is in fact hope and love, who transplants um, envy's bone-rotting diseases with that hope and love, the bone-healing hope and love. So we don't have to turn our eyes away. I mean, the, 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 the gospel, the Proverbs, everything never turns its eyes away from the wickedness and brokenness and rebellion of our world. But it does turn our eyes to the only hope to live in, and the only love that can conquer those things. But please do not be fooled. Envy always killed. Always kills. And it's the very thing that killed Jesus. When Jesus is on trial, Pilate's up there, he's the governor. And Matthew tells us that he recognized that the source of the crowd's desire to swap Barabbas and give Jesus is because the crowds were envious. It says, for he knew, Pilate knew, that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Wow. Wow. It is a deadly sin, and it killed Jesus. Envy killed Jesus, and there's just no way around it. But it's not called dead wisdom. It's called resurrection wisdom. 
Because though envy killed Jesus, Jesus absorbs that envy and love and justice. And he actually takes the dive deep down into death and dies with it there. And then his father raises it from the dead. That's why it's resurrection wisdom. Because that's where the power of that transplant comes in. Jesus conquers death, gives death its death blow by the resurrection because he lives again. And that's where the grave stench of the bone rot is now overwhelmed by the sweet aroma of love and hope, the very aroma of grace, grace to forgive our bone rot and to restore, transplant our bone marrow right back in to a health and life, to health and life. So why? We don't have to be bitter. We can be celebratory others' gifts, and even your own. You don't have to have false humility. And you can see other people's gifts and, 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 and celebrate the blessings and your own. And it, it, it regenerates our, um, our paralyzed in actions against sin because we're not so self-absorbed about that. We're looking out for how God's doing all these things, both, uh, uh, both attacking what is um, ugly in the world and beautifying what's beautiful in the world. Envy has a fatal flaw because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I typically don't tell uh, stories where I kind of look good because my preaching pastor said never give an illustration where you're the hero of your own story. They are tempting. But this is one of those things I think you can appreciate after I tell this story about what I'm celebrating here is actually the power of the resurrected Jesus to keep me from envy. This one's just too miraculous not to tell. Such a grace and kindness to me and the person I'm in relationship with. And I think you'll recognize why I say that. The hero of this story is Jesus. And it makes both me and my friend want to worship him more. So my closest friend is truly one of the most gifted and good human beings I've ever met. He's handsome, he's tall, he's strong as an ox. He's even got like this really cool um, aesthetic of charm and class and a great fashion sense. He's a professional singer and songwriter. And just so that Jesus would call to question anything, we actually sang one of his songs today just to just, you know, hey, you sure you want to say this stuff? He wrote a hip-hop soul musical, has a PhD from a top 10 university, he writes poetry to work through his emotions. Beautiful poetry. He's been published more times than I can remember. And guess what? He's like a really fantastic cook. He researches ancient foods and drinks recipes. He's, he's an entrepreneur opening a restaurant and bar at the end of the, of the um, Underground Railroad in Pennsylvania. All part of the project to create a kind of museum pilgrimage uh, to experience the Underground Railroad in that. And all that research is going towards how to do that experience. He's a love-led activist, an erudite scholar. He's starting a TV show with another friend about cooking and community. And there's more. He's actually really funny and fun. Dude learned to throw his voice just so he could crack people up in a party. 
pretty impressive, actually. And you guessed it. He's an incredible husband, fantastic father, a man of deep prayer, one of the better preachers I know, and he's just genuinely kind. He is going bald, so I got him on that. But he also has these like really stylish caps. So he's even going bald well. (laughs) Above all, he's generous and caring and a truth-telling friend. The guy I know I can call at 3 a.m. whether I'm in jail or I'm in trouble or I need to celebrate. I'm actually going to go see him this evening. I can't wait. Why? Because the resurrection power of Jesus has made me love him and him love me more than I want to compare myself with him. Because he's, in all his giftedness, does not walk through this life without the tragedy of living in this world, and their family's going through an awful time, and I just want to be with them. Because Jesus has healed me in a way, I got a lot more to go, but a way in which I am just got over myself around him. And he's gotten himself, over himself around me, and that's the power of the resurrection that we could serve each other and care for each other more than we care for our own good. Because Jesus' love has transplanted envy with love and hope and faith. And together we care more about that than we do ourselves. Praise be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the hero of that story. Amen.